Colossians 3.14, very simple verse. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I'm going to read the first five words again. Above all, put on love. Uh, We're in a section where he deals with the characteristics that ought to be a part of a Christian's life. And I think that no one can read the Bible without seeing the priority that God puts that we Christians be sharing love, be known by our love. Love is high, is, is the highest list of characteristics on God's list. And you can see that in Jesus because what Jesus did, the, the Old Testament scholars went through the whole Old Testament and figured out there's 613 laws listed in the Old Testament that you have to keep. Jesus said, why don't we get it down to two? And we refer to this as the great commandment, that you love the Lord with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself. He said that sums it all up. We call that the great commandment. Now, occasionally I hear people say something like this. Those 10 commandments are so hard to keep. Hey, listen, the 10 commandments are a piece of cake compared to the great commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart. All you got to do to stay clear on the Ten Commandments is just don't worship an idol. You can say, done, I'm fine. But Jesus said, no, you've got to love the Lord with all your heart. You can be a mean, self-centered, ornery person, and as long as you don't commit adultery or kill somebody or steal, you can say, I'm a good man, I'm a good man. I've, done, I've kept the Ten Commandments. But isn't it much higher and much harder to love your neighbor as yourself? In the Book of Common Prayer, there's a prayer. I'm going to read a portion of it. There's a prayer of confession. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we've done, now look, by what we've left undone. Now listen to these words. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Well, I was thinking about that this morning. We haven't loved you with all our heart. We haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. And the the thing that God dealt with me as I prepared to come here this morning is this. I can do this job. I was ordained in 1975. I can prepare a sermon and deliver it, and I can greet people. But here's the deal. I had to ask myself, am I coming to church today because I passionately love God? Not just because I'm going to do the job of a a pastor. Am I coming here today committed to really deeply loving you? Because that's what God's calling me to be. We're, We're to have love as that higher priority. And Paul even goes further in Romans 13 and says, If you love people, then you won't have to worry. You will never violate the commandments if you love people. Here it is, Romans 13, verse 8. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, he's saying, if you love someone, you will never break one of God's commandments with them. The reason I say that is because one of the most popular phrases that you see on signs and even on some of the more liberal churches is love is love. As long as you love, who can condemn that? Now, folks, love will never involve someone in actions that are condemned by the Bible. Love will never entice somebody to sin. Uh, 
we've got most of our young people downstairs, but I'll tell you what you can tell your grandkids. Anyway, <laughs> if uh, you have, if you're a young girl and a boyfriend looks at you and says, if you love me, you would, could you give them this answer? Say to them, if you love me, you wouldn't have asked. Because love will never entice someone into sin. If you love, you don't break the commandments. Sammy Tippett is a powerful evangelist. He told me this story himself somewhere around 1990. There was a church that he was a member of, a mega church in Baptist life at that time. And uh, he began to hear people gossiping that the pastor and the secretary might be having an affair. So he made an appointment to see the pastor and his secretary and said, look, there's some, look, people around here are saying you two might be having an affair. We've got to put our heads together and get this rumor killed because that will destroy the church. And he said he was met with an awkward silence because the pastor looked at him and said, well, I, this is a little uncomfortable, but we are having an affair. But we prayed about it. And we said, Lord, if this is not of you, will you take the love away? And when God didn't take the love away, we assumed that was God's will for our life. And so he left his wife, married his secretary, went not far across town, started a mega church. He's on TV today uh, without even breaking stride. He's not a Baptist anymore, but he's, he's still in the ministry. Folks. God will never say that love, adultery is loving. Anything that is contrary to God's word cannot be loving. Well, with this introduction set before you, let me give you four truths today. Truth number one is this. Love is important. Love is important above all love. Jesus said, and Jason's already had us read it today, that love was the mark of a Christian in John 13, 34, I give you a new command, love one another just as I've loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, the badge that identifies us as Christians is our love. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, this great love chapter, talks about how nothing else is worthwhile if you don't love. Verse 1, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging simple symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can preach up a storm and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions and I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing is worthwhile without love. Can you see how the Bible makes it clear that love is absolutely important? Now the second truth, I'm going to camp out a while here, and I want you to really be paying attention. Love is important. Number two, love is more than infatuation. Love is more than infatuation. I'm convinced that what Hollywood tells us today in the movies and what we're believing in our culture is that love is nothing more than infatuation. That's one of the reasons why we're playing so many musical marriages. Now, let me, uh, one, a great book. We use a book called what I Wished I Knew Before I Got Married, written by Gary Chapman for our premarital. Justin and I used that as our premarital book. And in the very first chapter, and I've actually heard him do an entire sermon on this in person, Gary Chapman talks about the fact that there is a phenomenon out there. He calls it the tingles. The technical word is infatuation. 
But the tingles are, you can make an emotional connection with someone. Your heart just jumps out. All of a sudden, you're captured. You feel warm, fuzzy stuff every time they walk in the room. You know, you're just consumed by that person. They're the most perfect person that you've ever seen. And you've got this power, this spell that comes over you. Now, there's nothing wrong with tingles. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But it's not a basis for marriage. Because he goes on in that first chapter of the book and says thorough studies have been done and on average tingles last for about two years. When he spoke in person, he said it's kind of good they don't last longer than that because eventually we need to do something like make a living, (laughs) other things with our life. When you're in the midst of tingles, all you want to do is just be with each other. And so here we've got this phenomenon of the tingles, this emotional attachment. And here's how he describes in the book his own experience with it. It should have been obvious, but I missed it. I had never read a book on marriage, so my mind was not cluttered with reality. I just knew that I had feelings for Carolyn that I'd never felt with any other girl. When we kissed, it was like a trip to heaven. When I saw her after an extended absence, I actually felt chill bumps. I liked everything about her. I liked the way she looked, the way she talked, the way she walked. I was especially captivated by her brown eyes. I even liked her mother and volunteered to paint her house. Anything to let this girl know how much I loved her. I could not imagine any other girl being more more wonderful than she. I think she had the same thoughts and feelings about me. With all these thoughts and feelings, we fully intended to make each other happy the rest of our lives. Yet within six months after marriage, we were both more miserable than we'd ever imagined. The euphoric feelings were gone, and instead we felt hurt, anger, disappointment, and resentment. This we never anticipated when we were, quote, in love. We thought that the positive perceptions and feelings we had for each other would be with us for a lifetime. Uh, Martin Luther said this about, he got married at 42. He said, the first year of marriage is drunken love, and then real love starts. I think that real marital love starts when the tingles are gone and you're looking at each other with clear eyes and say, now, how can we build the deepest friendship possible to last a lifetime? So that, that, so this tingles is something that we've elevated in our culture. I'll give you the ultimate example of how we've elevated in our culture. It's a movie that, I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed it when I saw it. It's one of the dumbest movies Hollywood has ever produced. Tom Hanks, Sleepless in Seattle, Meg Ryan. Interesting thing about the movie, they are never in a scene together until the last couple of minutes. But the whole thing is about how two people who should be in love finally are brought to each other. She reads a letter sent to by his son wanting a new mama and all this kind. And there's only one other time before the end of the movie, she sees him across the street and then she goes and they never talk, but until the last minute, and get this, they meet up at the top of the Empire State Building. That's where the little boys arranged for them. They've been waiting and Tom says to his son, we got to go now. And as they're walking to the elevator, all of a sudden it opens. And there she is. And they see each other. And you can almost feel the warmth in the theater. And they walk over and hold hands together. And they walk out with beautiful music being played. And we say to ourselves, that's love. (laughs) Folks, they hadn't had a conversation yet. 
They don't know if they like Mexican food or Chinese food yet. I mean, th think about this. So, so what we're doing is we're saying these warm tingles, that's love. No, it's not. No, it's not. And so we've confused love with infatuation. I made a commitment before I got married that I would never say the words, I love you to a girl until I knew that was the one I was going to marry. Well, Karen and I had been dating and I was captured. I was, that spell had me. And we decided that we'd go out and have a picnic at Oak Mountain, in Bur Oak Mountain Park in Birmingham. And she burned us some fried chicken. And, uh, <laughs> and it, the, it was a beautiful day. The wind was blowing. Her eyes were glowing. I was captured by her. And my heart said, say something. Well, I had ruled out. I couldn't say I love you. So I looked at her and said, I sure am infatuated with you. <laughs> She had to go home and get a dictionary because she didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> By the way, I don't recommend that as a line. You just take that out and throw that one away. It might have been accurate, but it's not the right line. But let me tell you what the problem is. Justin and I were working through this, and he's preaching just as passionately as I am up here about this particular subject. He, he said that, here's Justin, 31 years old. Of his classmates, nine couples out of his high school class have already married and divorced because they married on the basis of infatuation tingles and then the tingles left and they were through. That's what we're doing in our culture. That's why we're playing so much musical marriage. And so we've got to realize that love is more than infatuation. Let me give you another scripture to think about. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Now, I want you to all listen to me here. Every married person in this room, listen to me. There's a certain number of people that you can, your heart can jump out and begin making this kind of connection. That's just a fact. There's a certain number of people on this planet that you can make that connection. So what happens is a couple, after they've been married a while, they get in kind of a rut. I mean, great day in the morning. you got kids, you're a taxi service, and there's all doing all the chores you have to do and keep life going and work and all this, and you've kind of not been paying attention, and then all of a sudden you're at work with somebody, and those feelings come out. And what happens is a person will be drawn through infatuation to leave their spouse because they're in a rut. They've got this magic. But what you've got to understand, within two years, that magic is going to be gone. And what you will do is you will wake up to a more complicated rut. You'll have damaged children and a damaged spouse because you acted on that basis. So we've got to guard our hearts. Back in the early 80s, our children were small. I got invited to preach a revival in a First Baptist church in North Georgia. I had to leave Karen behind because of the kids. And I was sitting on the front row that night. The choir was singing. And, and sometime dur during the singing, twice as I scanned the choir, my eyes and a young girl's eyes met for just a second. Then we moved on. And then when we met the second time, I stopped. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I stopped right there and said, Lord, I make a commitment to you right now. I will never look her in the face again the whole time I'm here. I got through preaching. I was standing at the back door so people would come by and say, good job, preacher. You know, you know how that goes. And as she came up and said, that was a good sermon. I said, well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be able to preach the word of God here. I promise. That was, that's how seriously I take this whole principle of guard your heart.
Third truth, love is more commitment than emotions. Love is more commitment than emotions. Look at verse 4 of chapter 13. We're going back to the love chapter. And I want you to know, this is not tingles here. This is serious ways that you operate in your life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's not tingles. That's how you live out the strongest of commitment to each other. Occasionally, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I guess our marriage is over. We've lost the love. And I want to go big, hairy deal. We can get that thing back. And I'll explain why. Uh, a man named Ed Wheat has a book called Love Life. The subtitle is How to Rekindle Your Love. And he gives a principle. He says, what we so many times do is we let our emotions dictate to our will instead of letting our will dictate to our emotion. I'll give you an example. Have you ever woke up on Sunday morning and didn't want to go to church, but then you said, I'll just go, and you were glad you did? I, I, there have been times where I said, Karen, I don't want to go to church. She says, you're the preacher. And, uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I've never made myself go to church that I wasn't glad I went. You know, you're, if your will dictates to your emotion, the emotions catch up. So what Ed Wheat says is this, what we're to do, if you sense that your emotions are getting low, then you begin to do the actions of love. And if you do the actions of love, then the emotions of love will catch up. Can I remind you that the strong verses we have, like say Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You, did you know that those verses were written in a day and time when marriages were arranged? You didn't pick your spouse. Daddy picked your spouse. Oftentimes you didn't know who you're going to marry till your wedding day. You lift up the veil and you'd either say, thank you, God, or oh, God, one or the other. <laughs> you know, it's just. Uh, uh, you, but in that kind of in that kind of environment. Uh, he says, now, husband, you're to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. That's the commandment. It's nothing to, I think I might have picked the wrong one. If you're married, that's irrelevant. Because you're commanded to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. Today in India, parts of India, most marriages are arranged. There were a couple that they were nearing their wedding date. They'd never met each other. They were from different cities. Uh, they were going to meet on their wedding day. So the future groom got together a packet. He had pictures of himself. He gave a list of what he did for a living, what his likes and interests and all that were. And he was going to introduce himself to his future spouse. So he sent that to her. She sent it back unopened with this note. We did not choose who our parents were or who our siblings were, yet we grew to love them. We're going to grow to love each other. Now that's kind of the biblical perspective of this Ephesians 5 context. Let me tell you another story told by Erwin Lutzer, the former pastor at Moody Church. He said there was a woman in a church one time. She and her husband had been having a lot of friction, but finally they had a knock 
down, drag out. And in anger, she said, I'm going to get a lawyer. And she stormed out of there. And the only lawyer she knew was a fellow church member that was a lawyer. And so she went to see him. And he, as a godly man, knew his main job was to cool her down at that moment. So he, she came in and said, I want, him, I want to divorce him and I want it to hurt. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you tell him you're going to see a lawyer? Does he know you? Oh, yeah. Well, then what he's doing right now is he's going to a lawyer and we're going to have a battle. And when the dust settles, the only one that's going to win are going to be the lawyers. So here's what I'd advise you to do. Go home, tell him you cooled off and you're sorry. And for the next three months, be the best wife a man could ever have. And when, he's, when his guard is down, come back and see me, then we'll be able to get him. Three months later, he received a postcard from Hawaii. They were on a second honeymoon. Because when she began to do the actions of love, the emotions caught up. This word love is the word agape. It's the word forgiving love. It's the word found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world he gave. Now my last point, my fourth point is this. Love is a choice. Above all, put on love. He's been talking about these are grave clothes, those sins we need to take off. Here are grace clothes. Here are the, here are the characteristics you need to put on. But he says, if you're going to make sure you get at least one, get this one. Put on love. It's a choice. Put on love. My life was shaped by Bill Bright in a group of teaching he called the transferable concepts. I highly recommend them. They're found for free on the internet. One of his transferable concepts was called How to Love by Faith. And in the introduction, he talked about how he'd been doing many messages about the importance for Christians to love. We're to be known by love. We're to love the way that Christ loves people. And then one day before he was to give that same talk the next day, God convicted him. You did not go far enough. You didn't tell people how. You've told them they ought to love people the way that Christ loves. You didn't tell them how. And so he came up with the last point, And this was the title of the transferable concept. We're to love people by faith. That if I take a step of faith to love someone I'm dif having difficulty loving, then, then that's how I'm to do it. I'm simply to be obedient and love by faith. Not by emotions, but love by faith. After my first year of college, I got a job one summer in Macon, Georgia, where they learned about global warming long before anybody else. Uh, hot, humid, uh, uh, the construction team I was on, my foreman would pair us up with somebody and we would do work together. He hired a guy that had just got out, just gotten out of prison and he made him my partner. I had been trying to be a witness. I sang Christian songs while I worked there in the making heat and all that. But what this guy did was whenever the foreman left, he sat down and said, I'm going to watch you work. And he would say, good job. I mean, he was just as sorry as anybody I've ever met. And so after a few days, he looked at me and said, you hate me, don't you? And what can I say? I'm a Christian. I can't lie. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble. I didn't say yes, but I just got, um, you know. and I went home that night and I got before God and said, now God, we got a problem here. I've let everybody know I'm a Christian and he's called me, he's called me out. Lord, in the name of Jesus, give me love. And I thought the next day I'd go to work and it'd be like those commercials where people run through the field to each other and hug each other. I got to work. He was just as sorry and I still couldn't stand it. So I went home that night. 
I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And I think, where's a verse on love? And I remember John 13, by, by this shall all men know you, you, you're my disciples if you love. So I went and started reading at the first of the chapter. And before he gave them the command to love one another, he took a towel and a wash basin and he washed their feet. And with the towel in his hand, he said, what I just did to you, you love one another. It's not tingles. It's finding a way to wash their feet. That's love. So I got to think, how can I wash his feet? And I realized we hadn't, we're paid every two weeks. He hadn't been there two weeks. And so he, while we had our 30 minute lunch break, he just sat there by himself, didn't eat. So I said, I'm going to pack two lunches from now on. So I packed an extra lunch and said, I know she didn't have a lunch. And I sat next to him. We had those lunches together. And when the boss left and I just said, I'm washing his feet, I'm washing his feet. Before the end of the summer, he walked up to me and said, tell me about this Jesus you've been singing about. Because we're to put on love. We're to love by faith. Who just came to your mind? That's why God sent you here today. Who just came to your mind for you to love? Well, I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says, put on love for that person. Oh, Lord, you got us today with this strong passage. Help us to have wisdom so we don't make the mistakes of the world. Help us to go beyond the world and love the way you loved us with a towel, with your own shed blood. Lord, I, I pray we would be known for that kind of giving love. Oh, work it in our hearts. And we commit the specific person that came to our mind that you'll give us the privilege of washing their feet this week. In Jesus' name, amen.